Would you please stand as you are able for the reading of today's scripture? Our scripture lesson today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, and verses 21 through 22. Hear now the word of God. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Casey, for that word. And thank you, Mason. What a beautiful song uh, we just heard and sang together. Uh, It reminded me, Mason, of something I once heard Chuck Swindoll say when I was in Frisco, Texas. He said, whenever God calls a man or a woman, he usually begins by crushing them. And I think what he meant by that is there is a sense in which all of us as people of faith, as Christ followers, must die to ourselves in order that Christ may live within us. Uh, Casey, thank you for leading us. Mason and the band, uh, Callie and McCollum, uh, we're grateful to you for leading us as acolytes. And uh, I, I have to tell you, I'm impressed. You get double credit for attendance today because we have seen water in all of its glorious forms during this week, from snow to ice uh, to rain. And we're also going to experience it in a few moments uh, with our reaffirmation of our baptismal vows. It will be a dry baptism today in the reaffirmation because you're not coming forward, but we'll be making uh, our vows, reaffirming our vows in a few moments together in response. Uh, to the word today and then we'll be seated for a moment of reflection when we will make the sign ourselves on our foreheads of the sign of the cross as we remember and give thanks uh, for God's grace for the means of grace through the sacrament of holy baptism during the holidays I I was rummaging in the basement through an old box that I had forgotten about and I was thumbing through some memorabilia uh, family photos and keepsakes and things like that and I noticed at the bottom of the pile in the box there was an old kind of faded piece of paper an old document and the date on it was November the 6th 1960 It was signed by my great uncle, Clovis, who was a retired pastor. He was 78 in 1960. And as I looked closer, it was a baptismal certificate that verified the fact that I indeed, at the age of five months, was a child of God. Of course, I have absolutely no memory of it. Uh, I wasn't even six months old. I'm told by my parents, by my mother still, Uh, that my great uncle took me in his arms, poured water over my head, and received me into the flock. 
I was also told that the people who gathered that day at what was called Buchanan Street United Methodist Church in North Nashville, which today is Hickson Memorial, that the whole congregation stood and made a promise to God to raise me up in an environment, in an atmosphere where I would grow into the gift that God had given me on that day. There were other things in that box. There was a birth certificate. There was an old driver's license. I think it was my first. There was a social security card. Uh, There was a diploma. Uh, There was ordination papers. But I have to say there was nothing any more significant, nothing more important than that certificate. Of course, there came a day, I was seven years of age, that I accepted the gift for myself that my parents received for me on that day, and I'm still, I'm still growing in the grace that started on a Sunday morning, not unlike this, 60 years ago. It's a part of our tradition on the second Sunday of the season called Epiphany, or the Sunday that follows Epiphany. It's always January the 6th, uh, the day when we commemorate the visit of the Magi to Bethlehem. And it's a part of our tradition that on the Sunday following Epiphany that we recall the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan River. Some of you uh, were with us, Danny, Teresa, others were with us a couple of years ago when we went to Israel and we waded into the water and we reaffirmed our vows in the very place, the traditional site where Jesus also was baptized. It is a day also we not only remember Jesus but we remember our own baptism And we reflect for a few moments on on the mystery and the meaning of this means of grace and reaffirm our promise or the promise that was made for us at the time of our baptism. And I think it's particularly important to do at the beginning of a new year, nine days old, January the 9th, that we begin today with renewing our promise. Now to the text. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four detail Jesus' baptism as being by the hand of John the Baptist. Now, what you may not know is this, this was somewhat controversial in the early church because the very idea that Jesus was baptized at all seemed to raise a red flag. After all, John's baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance for sin. I don't know about you, but I've always been taught since I was a child that Jesus was the only human being who ever lived who was without sin. Indeed, Hebrews 4, 15 echoes that, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tested in every way, as are we, yet without sin. And so the very idea that Jesus was baptized at all was a red flag to some in the early church. Moreover, there were some who felt that for John to do the honors put Jesus in an inferior light, in a subordinate role. In fact, verse 15 states plainly that there were some who wondered if John was in fact the Messiah. Matthew's version, Matthew's parallel parallel of the same story says that John the Baptist tried to prevent Jesus from coming. He said, it's you who ought to be doing the honors for me. Uh, Now, honestly, I would prefer that the text would read, now Jesus waded into the water, sprinkled himself, and said, in the name of the Father 
me and the Holy Spirit, I baptize myself. But the text doesn't say that. In fact, Luke says, listen to the way he says it. After everybody, after all the people had been baptized, Jesus too was baptized. Jesus was at the end of the line. That's Luke's way of saying that Jesus is now standing in solidarity with sinners. It's Luke's way of saying that Jesus gets in line with all who are broken by the wear and tear of this world, all who had just about given up on themselves and God. Jesus comes with us and for us to the water. Now, there's another little nuance in Luke's description, Luke's portrayal of this scene that I want you to notice. I think it's important. Luke infers in the text that this epiphany is the result of prayer. Now, listen again to the text, verses 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, see that? You don't see that in the other gospels, only in Luke. The heaven was opened, the spirit descended in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are mine. You're my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. More than any other gospel, Dr. Luke connects the practice, the discipline of prayer with spiritual power. The life of Jesus, both in the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, the life of the early church is punctuated by unceasing prayer. Jesus' whole life was a conversation with God by which he was infused with power. And so Luke would say, no prayer, no power. Mr. Wesley himself said something like this. He said, God does nothing except through prayer, and he does everything with prayer. But the key to all four Gospels, and the reason that baptism, by the way, is still so pivotal in our experience, is that baptism at its core is a means of conferring identity. The open heavens, the descending dove, the voice of God are all a confirmation of our personhood, of our identity. You are my beloved. I love that word, beloved. In the Greek, it is agapetos. You recognize the root agape, right? Unconditional love. That means, beloved means that you are unconditionally loved, that you are unconditionally identified as God's child. It's also a term for Messiah. And this baptismal scene for Jesus sets him aside, sets him apart. In him, we see the unique nature of Jesus as God's only son, as we say in our creed. But it can also be applied, the word beloved, to us who are the offspring of God. Through this sacrament, the word sacrament simply means sacred reenactment, through this visible sign, we experience an invisible universal truth that you too, that we too are divinely loved by God. We are the beloved of God. We are the agapetos 
of God. And this is our primary identity. Now, I don't have to tell you that we live in an age of identity confusion, don't we? We all know the struggle of trying to come to grips with who we are. It's a lifelong struggle and what our purpose is. It was Eric Erickson, the brilliant psychoanalyst of the 20th century, who actually coined the term identity crisis. He used it 60 years ago to describe the profound psychological challenge that is faced by adolescents and emerging adults who are trying desperately to figure out who they are and what they're going to do with their lives. In fact, I saw a t-shirt recently in the mall attached to a young adult and it said, I can't adult today, tomorrow doesn't look good either. I understand that. We all face those challenges, especially in transition. And the last two years, transition especially from childhood to adolescence, from adolescence to adulthood. How about midlife, midlife crisis? There's now been, we've all, all been told of the quarter-life crisis. Life is transition. What about retirement? Life is an ongoing test of identity. I remember something Carl Jung once said, the great psychoanalyst, the world will ask you who you are, and if you don't know, the world will tell you. I think some of our crises of identity are heightened by the fact that we define ourselves and others way too narrowly by race, by color, by class, by creed. We define each other too narrowly, only by ethnicity, by sex, by gender, orientation, nationality, region, political partisanship, socioeconomics. And we often do it in ways that demean and divide rather than redeem and reconcile. I saw this week that one of my favorite actors passed away at age 94, Sidney Poitier. You remember him well from Lilies of the Field. He was the first black man to ever win an Oscar. He was raised in poverty in the Bahamas. He came to Miami at age 15 and then to New York City at age 16. He had $3 in his pocket. He was trying to get a job in a, in a commercial and when they heard the accent, they said, son, you need to wash dishes instead of talking on the camera. Life turned out pretty well for him. Lilies of the field, in the heat of the night. They called me Mr. Tibbs. All of those films. My favorite of Sidney Poitier, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. You remember that, don't you? With Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn. A story about a couple, interracial couple, who was engaged and they met with the parents over dinner and both sets of parents were deeply concerned about this relationship, their pending marriage. And there's a classic scene at one point where Sidney Poitier says to his father, Dad, you define yourself as a black man. I define myself as a man. While all those other descriptors that I just mentioned are partially who we are, that's not our core identity. 
Our primary identity is not in our ethnicity, it's not in our gender, it's not in our status. Our primary identity is in the baptismal bowl. It's in the water. We are first and foremost beloved of God. Archipetos, divinely loved sons and daughters of God. It's who you are. Now, we've tried through the years, through the centuries, to define what makes humans human. Rene Descartes, the French philosopher, defined us by our ability to reason. He said, I think, therefore I am. I think in the 21st century world, we define ourselves by, by emotion, by passion. I feel, therefore I am. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, I shop, therefore I am. Some of us resemble that. But our primary identity is not in reason, feeling, or consumption. Our primary identity is, an, is in our capacity to love. I love, therefore I am. I am beloved of God, therefore we are. If the nature of God is love, and 1 John 4 says it is so, then the nature of those who are made in the image of God is also love. To be human is to love. And by the way, the reverse of that is also true. To be unloving is inhumane. I'm thinking of Henry Nouwen this morning who wrote a book called Life of the Beloved. This is an essential read for Christ followers. In that book, Life of the Beloved, talking about this text, Dr. Nouwen utters these words. The world will tell you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you must dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I may not feel it at this moment, is that I'm a chosen child of God. I am precious in his sight. I am called the beloved from all eternity, and I am held safe in this everlasting belief. Self-rejection, says Nowen, is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that says in our baptism, you're my beloved. And that's the core truth of who we are. It's in the water. I don't know if you've gotten your star word. Have you gotten your star word? They're out on the table. Casey, I'm so thankful for you bringing this old tradition back to BMC. I've been carrying my star word with me. It's not too late to get your word. The idea is that during Epiphany, during this season, we follow the star and that you pick, you don't pick your own word necessarily, you pick a star and then you'll turn it over and you'll see your word to live by for 2022. I picked a word, a star, not knowing what it was 
last Tuesday, and I turned it over, and I have to tell you, I was a little disappointed. The word that I picked is the word receive. Receive. Now, I was expecting something a little bit more energetic, something a little bit more muscular, dynamic, an active word, and I got receive. And I've realized this week in reflecting on my word how difficult it can be for us to receive. I've lived by the scripture, it is more blessed to give than to receive, and that's true. But I'm finally beginning to understand in my life that unless and until I can learn to receive, I have little to give. Unless and until I can become more receptive to what God has for me, even when it's beyond my control, especially when it's beyond my control. I've got much to give when I learn to receive. And I have to tell you, I think about it every Sunday morning, especially on a Sunday like this where the few and the brave and the proud are in attendance in the midst of all of the water, all of the rain, all of the snow. I think about it every Sunday morning and I often pray, Lord, don't let anybody leave this house today without knowing that they're beloved. Don't let anybody leave this website, this link this morning without knowing that they're beloved of God and by us. And as we receive that for ourselves, oh God, help us to share it with others because that's who we are. It's in the water. John Leith was a Presbyterian minister and a professor in a Presbyterian seminary. Talking about infant baptism, he said these words. Listen to this. In baptism, the child's name is called because our faith is that God thought of this child before the child ever was, that God gave to him or her an identity, an individuality, a name, a dignity that no one should ever abuse. And then he says this, listen, human existence has its origin not in the accidents of history and biology, but in the providence, the will, and intention of the Father, who is the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer of heaven and earth. And that's why still today, Whenever a child is baptized or confirmed, after receiving the water and the laying on of hands, the whole congregation stands and prays for them by name. May the Holy Spirit work within you, Casey, Bob, Mike. May the Holy Spirit work within you, name, that having been born through water and the Spirit, you may always live as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. What I want you to do this morning is I want to invite you to insert your name in that blank, and then I want us to read it again aloud. You put your full name in that blank. You ready? 
May the Holy Spirit work within you, Davis Chapel, that having been born through water and the Spirit, you may always live as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. That is your primary identity, and it's in the water. And so I invite you now, nine days into 2022, we have no idea, we expect the unexpected in the year to come, but what a day it is on this rainy day outside to remember our baptism and reaffirm our promise to God as we receive anew God's promise to us. We're going to do that in just a moment. If you've not been baptized, let these vows be a prelude to your baptism, and let me or one of our pastors know, and we will arrange a time for your baptism as well. I'm going to go to the font and prepare for our renewal. I invite you to stand, and I invite you, if you feel so led, to join in the reaffirmation of your baptismal vows. If you're at home today, you may have a bowl of water. You may get one now and put it on your table, touch the water, and make the sign of your cross, of the cross on your forehead. We're not going to touch the water today, but we're going to use the water symbolically, and we will make the sign of the cross on our heads after we reaffirm our promise. And so I ask you, dear friends, will you turn away from the powers of sin and death? We renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sin. Will you let the Spirit use you as prophets to the powers that be? We accept the freedom and power God gives to resist evil injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Will you proclaim the good news and live as disciples of Jesus Christ, his body on earth? We confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, put our whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as our Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. Will you be living witnesses to the gospel individually and together wherever you are and in all that you do? We will remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world. Will you receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? We affirm and teach the faith of the whole church as we put our trust in God, the Father Almighty, in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Friends, I invite you to be seated, and in a moment of silence, I invite you to make the sign of the cross on your own forehead as a commitment of your reaffirmation to follow Jesus. Jesus.